As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to The Ruck, the rugby podcast brought to you by The Times and Sunday Times. I'm Alex Lowe and in the podcast driving seat for the first time today. Joining me are a couple of heavy duty opinion formers, in the shape of Stephen Jones, rugby correspondent of the Sunday Times. With heavy-duty opinion formers? Yeah. Is that good or bad? It's good. Oh, thank you. Oh. Yeah, hello. And Alan Dimmock, features editor of Rugby World magazine. Hello. How are you, Arthur? I'm all right, thank you. Uh, and bringing some much-needed creativity to the room, we're delighted to welcome Paul Grayson onto the ruck for his debut. Debut, yes. I, I normally do all right in debuts, but we'll see. Who's <laughs> Paul Grayson? I think he's related to James Yeah, his, his lad's quite a good player, I think. That is the new description, I am James Grayson's dad. And <laughs> happy to be so. Paul, as I'm sure you know, won 32 yeah. caps for England and was part of the World Cup winning squad and kicked all the points in Northampton's 2000 Heineken Cup final victory over Munster. He's returned to coaching at Northampton after taking on a kicking role and is one of the sharpest analysts working on the game. So welcome, Paul. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. Talk about the Rucks never had a debutante forfeit. What was your England forfeit? Standard song on the bus. What did you sing? Wonderwall. Oh, basic. Well, it was it yeah. was it was actually a um, big hit at it, the time. A hit in, <laughs> in the charts at the time. Yeah, it's yeah. that long ago. It's not. It's been used many times since. Oasis broke up soon after that, though. I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there's loads to pack in today's pod. Lots happened in the England camp. Danny Cipriani, Dan Cole, Sam Simmons have all been dropped. John Mitchell's been recruited, uh, and we revealed in the Times that he'll be. England's defence coach while based in South Africa. I think we have to start with Danny Cipriani, don't we? It's, it's been the, the big debate. Grace, it's your specialty, your position, your territory. What, what do you make of Eddie Jones's reluctance to, to trust him? I, I think it's exactly that. I think he's protective of the team and, his, and his, his ways, which is, if it doesn't work, work harder. And he likes compliance. I think Sips is occasionally anything but... but I, I always go back to the thing that Eddie said if, if Danny's the best player he'll be in the team if he's not he won't be anywhere near it so I don't want him in the squad unless he's out and out flat out number one um, and he's not prepared to give him that go with with I think the the spectre of Owen Farrell coming back as England number 10 um, with, with different options in the centres I think that keeps him on the outside but in terms of pure rugby and what he's done this season why he's not in the squad just for the fact of knowing what's going on I think is um, an aberration do you, do you think he took him to South Africa then just to give George Ford a bit of a kick up the backside maybe it's not a very gracious way of treating somebody if that's no. all he's using him for I think he had to I think he's played so much good rugby that, that at some point you've got to give him a go give him a chance to prove himself or to or to prove you right but I think it comes back to the same old stuff I don't think he wants him around the squad being disruptive might be the wrong word but but 
maybe not as compliant as some others. By compliant, do you, do you mean that he, he's playing off a he plays he plays his way and he doesn't play? I think Stuart Barnes wrote a piece um, over the weekend. You know, Danny plays his way and Owen Farrell plays his way, and the two maybe don't meet in the middle. Yeah, I think you might be right. Within the structures and everything else, I mean, for 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 all his labelling as a, a maverick and what have you, he's a detail man, Cipriani, in terms of attacking shape. He is he is belligerent and aggressive, and he wants people in absolutely the right place. If you're six inches out of position and he's trying to pick off the one pass of the four available, then mm. he's going to let you have it, and he's always been like that. So there's huge detail and discipline in the way that he plays, but there is that ability within him to to see something that he fancies and, you know, I'm going to go off and explore that opportunity. There are two strands to, to what Paul's saying there. Firstly, it's interesting that Paul says it looks like it's signalling a move back towards um, seeing Farrell at 10 because if you look at the way that Gloucester are playing this season with uh, Cipriani and 12 trees switching at first receiver, you'd say that that would marry nicely with the idea of Farrell playing at 12. So if you take that out of the equation and go, well, what do we want? Well, he'll go, well, here's my two favourite tens at the moment. The other side of it is there's a real sense of appeasement here, which is a strange thing to say considering what Eddie Jones is like. But he refuses to just come out and say, I don't like him. I don't see him as my kind of player because he can't afford to do that because injuries happen. It's part and parcel of rugby. And he knows that he's one injury away from having to call Danny Sipri back in. And that's the side of things where he's just going, oh, well, I'll hedge my bets and I'll, I'll say it's something about form, but really we'll just wait and see. I just, just, I'm fascinated with what Grace said, but Paul, do you think that um, you said you described the you know, the looming arrival of, of of Owen Farrell at ten? And Eddie, I see this last weekend before Manu got fit was was really bigging him up and giving him all the encouragement he didn't do to Danny. Do you, do you think that there's a, a distinct possibility now of almost changing the shape of it so you got Owen ten and then two Lange outside because that. Doesn't that contradict with what the way they've been trying to play for a couple of years? Yeah, and I don't know whether that's out of necessity because Tuolangi hasn't been around. Because I, I was it last year that Eddie, when England were had, had lost, in, he said there's not enough power in the team. We, mm. we, you know, forget wit or skill or game plan or whatever else. We didn't have enough power, and that just signals to me that a fit man of Tuolangi playing anywhere near what we think is capable of or has on occasion performed in the past would go straight into the team because England without Billy Vernapola at number eight were a completely different proposition in terms of being able to cross the gain line and give you the ball that a fluid 10 and 12 Ford and Farrell together the same kind of shapes that, that Wasp play and that, and that Gloucester are, are playing more now with Cipriani and 12 trees all that stuff sort of works. You saw it at the weekend with Saracens. As soon as they're over the game line, the, the game's easy. And England, without Billy Vinopola, couldn't mm. couldn't work out a way to get over the game line. Where if you've got another carrier who's got mm. world-class physicality, forget anything else, world-class physicality, and you can get over the game line, then that changes your job as a fly-off because there's constant movement forward. So you don't necessarily need that a hugely skillful number 12. We'll, we'll take him and barrels over the gain line because I want to get the ball in Henry Slade's hands in the wider channel bringing other you've got a decision maker and a distributor further out which makes you more potent Eddie's always a, a character it's very hard to, to pin down exactly what he thinks publicly because he's so contradictory but going to see him last week when he announced his squad I left with, with the, the definite feeling that it's edging towards Farrell playing 10 and Manu at 12 just things he said he was asked about his options at an inside centre he called them skinny he, he bigged up <laughs> Manu's <laughs> Manu's well, return. Wouldn't call Ma- Manu's no, but, but as in, 
yeah. it's Farrell or, yeah. or Manu. He bigs up Manu's return. Yeah. He said that, that Owen is going to play more and more at 10. Um, he said that the Supriani is his third choice fly half. He's very specific on that third or fourth, but very much counting Owen as a, as a 10. Yeah, com- yeah like he, he gives you that list, doesn't he? Who's, who, yeah. If he's fourth, who's third? Within the squad, you'd have Slade and Lazowski. Outside of it, I don't know, Marcus Smith, he's had him around, and he, he, he won't pick him. He hasn't brought him back in the squad since the end of last season. So. No, we didn't start for, uh, for no. Harlequins, did he, at the weekend? No. It's, just, it's interesting to know, because those Lazowski and Slade can obviously play uh, fly half to a reasonable standard, yeah. but, but you you wouldn't want to go into the Six Nations with either one of those as your out-and-out first-choice fly mm. half. So I, I think in terms of general selections, either of those two are in the team. That, that gives you the option of cover during a game, which which kind of puts a bit more pressure on George Ford, really. You you're, you become mm. that in-or-out player because there's somebody else who can fill that role to a degree if, if your main man gets injured. Another thing about Danny, and you just said about Gloucester switching um, with Superiorni and 12 trees, but that's Danny's attack. He runs that. Yeah. With England, he doesn't run it because whoever's playing that position mm-hmm. always has Owen Farrell outside him. And it's a different dynamic, isn't it? Yeah, and if I, you know, I don't know whether you see it the same way, but wherever Farrell plays, he's in charge of the team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Therefore, if he's that little bit further out, that's where the ball ends up, which I think has been slightly, a little bit like the shape that Leicester plays, slightly to the detriment of, of George Ford. As an out-and-out attacking 10, when he has firepower around him he's magnificent and he's, mm. he's just got that back at I know Leicester did something weird yesterday but yeah. he's just got that back at, at Leicester he's got out of that one and two where he's I think he's more of a threat when he's kind of doing it all on his own He's a, in, he, in that regard he's a little bit like a little bit like Cipriani when he was running the show yesterday he he got Leicester back into it Leicester yeah. were just bizarre it was a great try that he set up for uh, May wasn't it yeah he, he was a little chip for May and then he, he spotted a chance and went himself and when he's not playing on the front foot he's he's a different player isn't he it's interesting though the, what Paul said is very convincing that you know the two Langies the, the, the thing about Billy and, and two Lange getting over the game line but it's funny because if that's the way it does turn out We've sort of all been in uh, in limbo for about three years, mm-hmm. waiting for this blo- one bloke to come back. Yeah, you know, he, it is ama- it is amazing. He's um, also waiting for Joe Thocken, a singer to come through. He took him on that tour of Argentina. Mm. Would offer the same the same size. As, you know, if they get him roaming off off the wing a bit, would would bring that physicality to mm. to the back line. The other England line over the last few weeks has been England's pursuit of John Mitchell as defence coach. They they finally landed him last week for two hundred grand release fee to the Blue Balls. But he's going to stay living in South Africa. And another of Eddie Jones's great contradictions is that he said he went to watch Danny Cipriani every week of the season so he could get a full widescreen picture of what he does. But he said it's OK for Mitchell to live in South Africa because you can watch all the games on TV. What do you think of, of Mitchell Grace? I mean, you'd have, you'd have worked with him when he, he was with England? Um, yeah, played against him, I think, because Mitch came on that. The, the All Blacks came in 93, perhaps, and he was, mm. he was on that mm. tour, so he didn't get a cap, but... Uh, played a couple of games for them, and obviously at Sale. I mean, it, around that England camp, I enjoyed John's company. He was forwards coach. And I don't think the forwards necessarily <laughs> enjoyed him as much as I did. Uh, he was always worth a chat. He's quite mischievous, actually. Mitch, he would keep Clive waiting every now and again, much to Clive's <laughs> annoyance. Where do you go with a year to go before the World Cup when your defence coach has been developed and moved on to a you know a senior position in the in the domestic game? Who do you go out and get? Because it's not the time for a, another young English coach necessarily to come in because we're the World Cup's nearly here. Are you going to change your system? Are you going to hand over the reins of control completely to, to Mitch to run your defence? 
it's a tough role to fill with with a limited time frame because it's not like you're appointing for the for a five year stretch, are you? My question would be, if not him, who else? Who would you have gone and got now that Sean Edwards obviously has gone to is off to Ruby League? Yeah, Eddie Eddie did try he tapped up Andy Farrell, but having released him a couple of years ago, I don't think there was any chance of, of Andy Farrell coming back. And Eddie revealed last week that he'd always intended to bring in a, a senior coach in World Cup year on the basis that all World Cup winning coaching panels have had a couple of big voices, influential characters, and he felt that, that England's setup was too junior. Maybe that's a convenient a convenient kind of remaking of, of history, but they were lacking a, another senior voice, weren't they? Jonesy? They were, but and they've got one at a decent, um, decent salary. But I, I'm sorry, <laughs> but uh, I can't think of it. I can't think of anyone else, as Paul says, who, who, who you could bring in, even though they've done without one for so long. But if you're going to come over, even for a short time, surely you've got to, uh, you've got to embed yourself in the culture. I mean, rugby cultures. He was at Western Force, which which were, which were a fledgling uh, team, developing the culture. Then he goes to South Africa. Uh, then he goes to the All Blacks. All different cultures. Now, maybe he remembers the England culture, but he's not going to immerse himself in it. And also, surely, when you're talking about likely players, you know, you've got to look them in the eye and and see what their body mm. language is like. Not watch them on TV so much. So. I'm absolutely staggered. Look, I'm not interfering with John and his family life, which obviously means a lot to him and he doesn't want to move them all over. I am absolutely staggered that England have, have chosen someone who is going to be a, a pop-in coach, drive-by coach, and watch it on the box. Do you want to hear the hottest take I've heard on this recently? Is Matt Williams, who we'll all remember for his uh, stint in charge of Scotland. He was on Off the Ball in Ireland, and he suggested that this is a, a succession plan from Eddie, that he in- fully intends to install John Mitchell so that he can take over when Eddie steps aside. I'm not really sure that is actually the plan for this, to be honest, but it's, it's an interesting one. Looking at Because you've been writing about this a lot, Alex, the interesting side of this is, firstly, this is a guy who, when he first went back to the Bulls, people were saying, actually, he could take over from Kutsia in charge of South Africa. He's probably the right man to do it. Now, it didn't end up that way, but that's how highly regarded he is by some in South Africa. There's a lot of talk about how he's changed as a coach. The Bulls were trying to keep hold of him. You know, they were trying to tie him down to a longer term deal, which never went through. And apparently there was d- discussions about, well, I want more Springboks. We need to sign some players to strengthen the team. That never came through. Um, you know an awful lot about me. What it, it comes down to is the fact that, that this is the most farcical side of all of it, is that there's no indemnity clause in his contract with the Bulls. So it ended up being a negotiation between England and a union for this guy. So much more hassle than it needed to be. So much more money than it needed to be in, a, in an age where... People were being laid off at the RFU. That's what will stick in the craw. Now I suppose it's down to saying, right, well, we've gone through all this. Let's see how good the coaching actually is at the end of all this. I think the um, the, the idea of him staying in South Africa, I, I was amazed, like Steve, to, to discover it. I asked the question because um, when he was the USA head coach, one of the hu- the biggest gripes they had over there was that he stayed living in, in South Africa, would fly in for international periods mm-hmm. made no uh, it was a different job but made, made no effort to um, to develop coaches which was part of his remit um, and, and I've heard a lot of, of disquiet from people at USA Rugby about about that tenure and, Ga- and Gary Gold who's there now he's just travelling thousands and thousands yeah. of miles he's all over in. the place yeah. putting himself about he's at every tournament and 
Uh, surely, especially in a place like America, however big it is, that's how, we, that's how you've got to do it. And, and Eddie explained it away by saying we have no access to the players Monday to Friday, so there's nothing for him to do. Well, that's just, that's wrong. That's not true. Mm. England coaches go to clubs all the time. Paul Gustard was taking defence sessions at Northampton last season. You know, England, England coaches do have access to the clubs. And as Steve says, I, I, I'm amazed because he, you know, he's got to catch up very quickly and try and instil his view, his vision, and Eddie says that England are going to have a, a slightly tweaked defensive structure. He needs to be here. He needs to be talking to the players and meeting the players and talking to DORs about what... Especially what if he's, he's going to become the next head coach. Well, I mean, that, that, yeah, that <laughs> succession plan theory has been has yeah. been mentioned by a few people to me and, and you know, denied uh, vigorously yeah. by the RFU. Cruz um, would be ready for the job then. But, I mean, <laughs> but to, to, to support that theory, when Eddie Jones was given a two-year contract extension... It was on the basis that if he stays on after the World Cup, he will be mentoring yeah. his successor. So That's rubbish. That's the worst uh, thing the RFU have ever done, and that, that takes in a few things. I, I completely Excuse me, you, we got, we, you, we're going to give you the biggest job in rugby, and sadly, this Aussie's going to be hanging yeah. around for two years. <laughs> I, I don't believe any of it, but, but that's why it, it fuels the theory that Mitchell's um, an eventual successor, because of, because of the vision that they laid out themselves. From a media point of view, and... and reporting on what's going on. England are not appointing from a position of strength. They're not appointing with consistency of performance or of selection or of message. Life's full of contradictions. Absolutely, no problem. But when they come this thick and fast, nobody yeah, nobody no. buys it and there's no. an air of scepticism about everything. So everything gets looked at with that slightly cynical eye. It's like, well, it just who was around? Mitch was around. He's, he's mates with... Nigel Melville and you know and it's all all that stuff comes into it where really it should be about the rugby and about what mm. he, what he what he's going to bring to a team who uh, who have got a strong identity a year out from a World Cup but, but we're sort of the opposite we're the totally opposite agree. of that I totally agree with that I mean it, it, it's the whole thing there's a, there's a new utterance and there's a new direction every week I totally agree with that I mean it, the, the instability of the whole thing is incredible sounds an awful lot like white noise. <laughs> Which we Did saw today with the yeah. press conference. Uh, yeah. oh. I don't know what I mean. For, for those that don't, aren't aware of that, England released yet another kit today. And in the, the, the release about it was the, the design of the England kit, which, by the way, shock horror for you, it's white, was designed uh, <laughs> with. What was it? The noise from I've the crowd, which they describe. Uh, yeah, go the on. The design of the shirt takes inspiration from white noise, the effect created by the sound of England supporters cheering the team on. Um, as Johnny Fordham from The Sun pointed out, white noise is also what sends you to sleep. Um, and then later on one of the the great new innovations is that um, there's a new collar which reduces neck pump this is a family podcast (laughs) (laughs) I've heard that have you well you could get a new shirt then Okay. We wear the well, new shirt. Just the ninety-five quid. It's going to set you why, back. Why do they? Who, who makes the shirt? Why do they bother with all that? Just say there's a new shirt out. Here, here it is. I think yeah. so. here's a new shirt. We hope you like it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Job done. Um, here's a new defence coach. Hope you <laughs> like it. <laughs> You're listening to the Ruck. We'll be back after this. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you 
everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss Welcome back to The Ruck Premiership Weekend was was another fascinating collection of uh, of matches of of results I was at Welford Road on, on Sunday for another bonkers Leicester game um, I've heard people say that it could be the game of the season or the, the game of the Premiership of the last couple of years was it that good? It was a, it was a, yeah, it was. I mean, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't nip and tuck the whole way because Leicester. Going to say, what was the widest gap? Was it 30, 30, 30 points to seven? 11. After 53 minutes, Worcester, bottom of the table, th- having suffered three narrow defeats on the bounce, had surged into a 37 11 lead at Welford Road, cutting cutting apart the Leicester defence. It was unbelievable. They And Leicester were, were woeful, but Worcester were really good. Duncan Weir, Ryan Mills, Bryce Heem, just just fantastic together. And then, as I mentioned earlier, Leicester got a foothold, George Ford on the front foot, roared back five minutes to go, it's 37 all. Worcester, who you would imagine, kind of mentally fragile, haven't uh, have blown a couple of chances to win games this year. They were already rocking. They came back and won it in the, in the last minute. Can you imagine um, the, 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 the great, um, you know, Backy, Roundtree, Cockrell... Garforth and all the watching that, and then a when they're thirty three eleven down, what do they think? But probably even worse when they come back to 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 draw, and yet they let the opposition score in the last minute. I mean, they must be t- if they had if they were passed away, which thankfully they're not. They're turned in their graves. <laughs> I just supposed they turned their graves, but they're all alive. No, the one narrative from that, that, and I've heard a lot of people from north of the border up in Scotland say this is what a fantastic thing that is for Duncan Weir to do in his career because. He's had a terrible few seasons up the, uh, north of the border. He's not enjoyed it. He's not had a good time. He was he was let go. Um, he's come south to achieve something. And if that's not the day of his career so far, it's mm. pretty close. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I think it's also great for Ryan Mills to get some some plaudits because I think he's a really exciting player. And I, I think if he was playing at a at a stronger team, there'd be more people talking about him. I, I think he's a, he's a good player. Ryan yeah. Mills. He struggled. He struggled with injury. Over over a couple of seasons, I've seen him quite a bit, and he's genuinely got that extra little bit extra mm. in terms of mm. gameplay from twelve. If he went and ran at twelve for Saris, he would not be out of place at all. He would he would enhance, and he I think he'd be knocking on the door. Paul, you, I, I know you're you're still doing your media stuff, thank goodness, but you possibly may look at things with a slightly more co- coaching eye now. But 
in my opinion, this is the best start to the Premiership there's been. I've been doing this for donkey's years, but I'm absolutely loving going out on Saturday to see it, even if it's not all total class. It's such a such a buzz. Yeah, well, I completely agree with that. And and I think the only disappointment this weekend was sort of getting set up to watch that game yesterday, Sarri's Gloucester, where yeah. you're thinking, right, here we go, Gloucester look all yeah, right. Yeah, and yeah. then after 15 minutes... I was watching yeah. it with my boys. I said, I'm sorry, lads, I've seen this game before. I, yeah. I, know, yeah. I know what's coming, and not just because it's on an artificial pitch. It has been a blistering start because nobody knows which way they're pointed, do they? By the top two, mm. pretty much from third down to 12th, everybody's doing something, and, and uh, uh, the surprises are coming with games where there's plenty of points and plenty of tries and... Mm. and so there's even a poor game's good to watch, yeah. as opposed to, you know, roll back a few years ago, a, a, a good game of rugby was just about bearable, and you had that period in the league where 630 pick and goes each mm. for a, for a nine six, and a bad version of that yeah, is just yeah. horrific. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, Stephen, I completely agree. I'm enthused by it all. I think it's brilliant. Although saying that, if if we could get the shotgun out and shoot one narrative already, it's that extra play boring rugby. Because yeah. people are already like I've, I've been seeing it a lot. People saying that oh, so pick and go is a thing. It's just ruthless, actually, and it's efficient. You know, I don't, I don't know why people are denigrating it already. Because I, I watched Sale play against Wasps at the weekend, and Sale seemed terrified for any confrontation when they got into inside the twenty-two. Okay, they scored a try right at the start from uh, John Ross, and that was really good. But apart from that, they were flinging awkward passes over people's head to try and get it as wide as quickly as possible. Exeter know exactly what they're doing, and they're, you know what, they're bloody good at it, and they're not ashamed about that. But, but they use it as an attacking tool. Yeah, mm. they they play their way into that position, and yeah. then when they get to five meters, you know what's coming. It's a maul or it's a pick and yeah. go, and and everyone knows the rule. And, and they're heading for the post, and you see what you can do about it. And unless you unless you unless you change the law in some way, they they're virtually unstoppable, aren't they? Don't yeah. I, I I just also we always have a word for Bristol. Um, mm. I just really admire what Pat Lamb's doing there. I know he's had ups and downs his coaching career, but but on Saturday. Bristol were so much better than than Quinns. They were massively better, and Quinns were very fortunate to get a bonus point. But Pat's got this thing that he's 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 been talking top six. I want to be in the top six all the year, mm. and and I think part of that is he doesn't want to be seen as the team hanging on just to get, try and get a bonus point to match. Whether he thinks they can, I, I I don't know. But I think because I think with Pat, if you said to him now. We'll give you 11th place and you'll escape relegation. I think he still might take it, even though he's talking top six. And on Saturday, the problem with, with them was they never got more than seven points ahead. If they were more than the score ahead, I think they would have cruised away. And afterwards, Pat sort of agreed. He said, yeah, look, we've got to stop doing this thing where we're just trying to win by hook or by crook. we got talent and we should have won by more. And, and I just think he's, very, he's playing it very cleverly. And also... Um, they're not meant to have uh, scrum half uh, depth. Andy Euron at, uh, at scrum half is really, really impressive, and he started off as the number three, so maybe they got depth as well. But I just think it's a fascinating story. It's a great, great place to watch rugby, and I think Pat is going, he's doing a real good job. The flip side of that game is, is that Harlequins look all over the place, and yet they're, they've won one out of four, and they're sixth in the table. It's a, it's a bizarre-looking league mm. at the moment. Well, yeah. I, I think that's because they should never have got a point on Saturday, and they should never have got, th- was it three points last week? Uh, sorry, two points, mm. because um, they were way out of it, and, 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 and Bath shut up shop, and they came back in. I mean, I think Quinns, with respect to them, I think they've got real problems. I really do. In what way? Well, I mean, they were just 
abject on the weekend. They were absolutely terrible. You couldn't actually work out what they, what they were doing. Some of their England players, Joe Marler apart, didn't just didn't stand up, and uh, you couldn't. You know, they had three sin bins. The discipline was terrible, and you couldn't see what the what the game plan was. The new coach bounce hasn't really worked at Harlequins or at Leicester, has it? Saracen, you, you were talking. We we're talking before about Saracens, and they've they have made the best start of any team in the Premiership with with four consecutive bonus point wins. Um, you talk about Exeter and the Exeter way. Yeah. Saracens have evolved from from a they had their game when they were kind of launching this this run of success. They had their their style, but they've they seem to have evolved that they can play in any way that's needed. And when 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 Gloucester, you know, who, who are this year's as Owen Slot wrote this morning, who who are, who are the pretenders this year? Mm. Think think they think they're onto something. Come well, to Alliance, they they get shown. Well, shown up. it doesn't matter what they think they're bringing to the party. Saris just rolled their tank onto their lawn mm. uh, at, at the weekend. It was. At points, frightening how well they were playing in that game, um, and it's it's the fact that they've the depth that they've got. I mean, we we mentioned him in passing there, but when you can bring Alex Lazowski in the form that he's in at the moment off the bench to front football, mm-hmm. I mean that's something that Gloucester's defence just couldn't keep hold of at, at all. You know, it's it's you have to take your hat off to them. I, I, I spoke to Jackson Ray. Uh, just before the first game of the season and I was asking him about what, mainly about what's changed in his time there because he's been there for such a long time but he actually said last season is one of the biggest seed changes he's seen at, at the club you know we all remember when they went through that run where they couldn't win a game in any competition and they had a look at themselves and they went we can't just keep doing what we're doing just because we've been winning games left, right and centre. We've got to change things. And he said, he wouldn't give me any details, but he said that we've looked at that and we've gone, right, let's rip up a few things on how we train. So the fact that they're still evolving and going, right, we're not just going to say that what we've got here is fantastic and we'll just keep going as we're going. They're actually changing things. That's that's the scary thing with them. And and quite a lot of it's player-driven mm-hmm. because yeah. they, they uh, having spoken to um, a few Coaches there, friends there, and I chat with um, with Joe Shaw, who I think said he was briefly at Northampton as a player. He's a mm. good lad. He's doing a really good job. Mm. Um, the players are demanding. They want to know why they're doing things. They want they, you as a coaching group. I think they almost not have to prove themselves, but you've got to prove your idea. It has to have merit before the players will buy into it. And if it does, they're a hundred percent behind you. And that's a that is a powerful thing when you've got players of that quality who are that aspirational it drives, just drives the standards mm. up and also nobody's right There's no, mm. there isn't one long period mm. where no this is the right way and we're just going to keep going because um, we've all seen that in various clubs when you get to a point having a little bit with Northampton Northampton found a winning formula and then three years later we're still playing the winning formula when the rest of the league had moved on mm. um, so I th- they're aside from all the things that they do slightly differently they're a, a progressive bunch I mean, North Harlequins made the same mistake when when they won the league, um, and that, that is what so you go down. There. I remember going this time last year down to Saracens and spoke to, to Joe Shaw and, and Ian Peel and um, Alex Anderson, who'd spent the summer in New Zealand in and around the Lions tour, but, but visiting provinces just to just to come back with fresh ideas to, to keep evolving. Because mm. the only way that, that an Exeter or or Gloucester are going to stay in their rearview mirror is if they keep moving ahead themselves. Um, you you were mentioning earlier, Steve. And I think Lazowski could end up being England's best option outside centre, particularly if they play Manu at twelve. Mm. Um, you you watched the game at the weekend and, and made a 
kind of decision about where Marrow should be? Well, I've got this thing partly with what Paul said about you know they 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 go forward so infrequently. England at, at one stage used to go forward in the scrum and they had a tremendous driving mall. The driving malls become an embarrassment, and I just think their pack needs to be powered up. And the way Marrow played at six on the weekend, I know people don't like him there, but he won turnovers, he scored tries, he can still do his line out at, at six, and I would totally seriously consider him at six. That gives them the opportunity to, to have a bigger team, to, it gives a vacancy for a bigger lock to come in there, someone who can, who's a real strong arm guy, and I just think it would help their team. <laughs> Such as? I think I'm, you're leading with this. I'm not going to mention anyone, because when you try against a, a, a not very good Springbok pack, to drive the ball over three times from five metre scrums. And every time you went cough up the ball and twice were penalised yourself and never made a yard, that doesn't sound much like an England pack. It sounds more like a pack from Madagascar. We've brought the conversation full circle back to England physicality, but that, that was an issue um, in South Africa. And it's been an issue for England in the last year, where it was actually, when Eddie Jones arrived, that was his foundation stone, was... It was a was the traditional England powerhouse pack. It was the first question he was asked, and it was mm. the first answer he gave. He promised to make the compose. I'm not just talking about a powerhouse pack. I'm talking about as Paul said, just go forward. You know, go forward, get on the front foot either through Billy, through through Manu, or or through through the forwards as a collective. Right, our new feature for the season is our god or goddess of the week, which was introduced by you, Steve. Do you want to go first? No. Okay. <laughs> um, oh. Well, I, I was mentioning uh, before before we started rolling tape here that uh, I don't know whether this falls anywhere on God of the Week, but it was an interesting aside is that Freddie Michelak, that wonderful mercurial ten that everyone seemed to uh, denigrate, uh, he has bought a club in the Federal Leagues, uh, Blagnac, I think I'm pronouncing that right, but also, apparently, according to the reports in France today, he has designs on beginning a professional team in Monaco. Which has all sorts of craziness stamped all over that, That's and I vote. just want that to happen. Yeah, because for the two years that they'll exist, it'll be incredible <laughs> scenes. Uh, genuine uh, suggestion though is I've got you got to take your hat off to Vili Larue, the fact that he's flown all the way from New Zealand, played for Wasps, played brilliantly for Wasps, um, helped orchestrate the way they play. Played a major role in a fantastic try for Nizam Car. So if you get a chance to watch that offloading, and that's fantastic. Mm. Uh, so all the way to Kov, and he's back to South Africa to play again in the Rugby Championship. I mean, fair play to him. That's a hell of a task. Not great for player welfare, mind you. No, absolutely not. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, see, that's like going on a Lions tour, isn't it? You get there, for, have two days, and then play a game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Who yeah. anyone, Grace? I do, I do. We've already mentioned him. Um, my God of the week is Duncan Weir. Because not only did he travel all the way from Scotland to play for a <laughs> which is a feat in itself, you as a player, when you've been uh, in the darkness and you get your opportunity somewhere else, he's got his opportunity at Worcester, and to go to a place like Welford Road and, and have one of those days where everything works, uh, he scored two tries. But it, it wasn't that. It was the fact that when Ted Hill scored that try at the end, he had the wherewithal to ask the referee how what the time was on the clock when it was scored yeah. and he made the referee the referee had a look I, I don't suppose he had to he could have just told him to shut him and get on with it he got a minute and a half but he had a minute and a half and the mm. try was scored a minute and a half so a minute and a half is a long time to stand still at Welford mm -hmm. Road while 20 odd thousand people <laughs> who don't like you and fear that you're going to lose know exactly what you're doing yeah. bold as brass 
arms folded. He stood there and he waited and he waited and he waited. And eventually the referee went, you're going to have to kick it now. As the clock ticked into the red, nailed it from the touchline. Uh, and rode off into the sunset. Was so it the last it, kick of the game? It, last kick of the game, game over. No, no chance. If he kicked it straight away, Leicester have got mm-hmm. 30 seconds to try and yeah, win. Yeah. I thought it was brilliant. Great. Steve. Cracker. <laughs> Cheat, the cheating god of the week. Um, Playing within the rules, Steve. But I know I normally, when uh, Harry scores for Spurs, I usually make it Harry Kane, but I'm going to make an exception on this occasion. It's not Dave Atwood either, by the way. <laughs> um, I'm going to go uh, Tiger Woods is my god of the, the week and any week because what an absolute majestic sight it was to see him there with thousands of people following him down the fairway keeping his cool and just hinting that he may be back in the chase for Jack Nicklaus's major record and uh, not the, not what the European team wanted to see Tiger back on form but blimey I just thought it was fantastic for sport so I'd have Woods won Atwood two, Kane three. <laughs> um, I, I want to give a um, recognition to Ben Moon for his England training oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. group call up because too sentimental. He oh, he's just been you know a player from Exeter who's, who's come up with the club and and been a huge part of them. But he, he my vote will actually go to Jiro Ishiyama, who not for what he's done this week, but for what he's done over the last few years. Um, in short, he played rugby for Kamaishi was a Japan prop when Kamaishi was flattened by the tsunami in 2011 he moved back to the town left his family where they were came up with the idea of Kamaishi hosting rugby world cup matches and has worked on the construction of the new stadium um, and what a man he is so he'll get my as, as it's one year to go we've just passed the one year to go Mark he gets my god of the week nomination okay you can, you, you can be the winner <laughs> <laughs> gents thank you very much I think I got away with it on my debut. We'll be the judge of that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all very much. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.